Hi, I'm Daryl Urbanski, and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. When your life and your business grow as a result of what you're about to discover, please call me and tell me about it. The number to leave a voicemail is one 888 844-GROW. That's 1-888-844-4769. Long distance charges may apply. Dial now to call me, connect, share your personal story of how my interviews have helped, or share your current challenges and frustrations so I can connect you with an appropriate course, coach, or help you if you connect. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urban Ski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by one of the world's top 10 most influential thought leaders on organizational culture on leadership and corporate culture transformation. This man is Arthur Karmazi. Hey, Daryl. <laughs> hey, what's up, Arthur? As a best-selling author and founder of the Directive Communication Psychology, Arthur's brain clarity research and gamification methodologies have influenced the training and leadership development industry through his unique neuroscience and game-based psychological approaches. His innovative tools, assessments, and games have a visible ROI on marketing conversion, engagement, productivity, and effective behavior modification. His research on the genetic foundations of the brain's ambiguity, relief, clarity-getting processes have been inspired, the inspiration of the color brain model used across multinationals in 52 countries. DCI has over 400 licensed directive communications, psychology, leadership trainers in 18 different countries. So I've asked Arthur to join us here today so we can all understand how to make our team cultures and team behaviors a little better. So Arthur, thank you so much for joining us, my friend. How are you doing? I am doing absolutely awesome, Daryl, and thank you for having me. This yeah. is an honor. I know. Both of us can – we're both on the in Asia, uh, different areas of Asia, and we're both celebrating that we don't have to get up at 3 a.m. to do interviews. Yay! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, culture is a hot topic, and I really don't think we've had enough people on our show to talk about it because it's such a powerful thing. It's the thing that's there when you're not as the owner, right, as a leader. It's the thing that remains. It's the thing that guides and leads. It's the it's it's like dark matter in the universe. It like holds hey, the glue together. Hey, that's a perfect analogy. I like right? that. Yeah, it's there, matter. but it's yeah. not. <laughs> now, before you got into all that, however, how did you get started? What were you doing before you came into this? Do you come from an entrepreneurial background? Are your parents kind of entrepreneurs and business owners? Are they part of corporate America? Like, how? What? What got you going in this direction? Wow. Well, you know, of course, uh, I have like 17 degrees from Harvard, Yale, and Sussex, and, uh, you know, 18 PhDs. I used to be a NASA astronaut. And, uh, well, no, of course, you know, you know where I came from? I came from a small town called Carson City, Nevada, in the U.S. of A., and when I was growing up, there was 10,000 people and 20,000 cows. My dad was in the National Guard. He was, uh, you know, kind of, kind of, which is the kind of sort of civilian army thing. Right. And then my mom used to clean houses to kind of make ends meet. You know, I ended up uh, knowing that I could be more and everything else. But unfortunately, uh, the 
the um, the school system at the time, well, you know, they they kind of looked at me and they because uh, I didn't really kind of compare to the other kids. I mean, I wasn't really good at math and I wasn't really good at reading in in the way that they they, they presented everything. So I, I ended up uh, literally being put into a special kids class. Okay. And of course, we, we all know what that means, right? So it doesn't mean you're special. It basically just means you're less than average. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so that's code word for stupid. Right. Um, that's such a nice but, label. Uh, yeah, yeah, there you go. And um, so anyway... You know, I, I, I grew up in this uh, in this environment where the, where people are basically telling me in a nice way that I'm not good enough and uh, that I'll never pretty much amount to anything. And one day I had this um, I had this teacher because the, the school basically had put me in the special kids class. But then they said, oh, sorry. Uh, now, before you go to high school, you have to have an algebra class. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, algebra is not like math for smart kids. I can't do that. <laughs> and so they said, well, you got to go. So I went. And of course, my very first report card, what I get? F, right? Because I was a stupid kid. Everybody knew it. Nobody was surprised. Mm. <clears throat> but, but one teacher, Mr. Backus, okay, this guy sat down with me and uh, he, he wrote down a couple of simple algebra problems on the board. And he says, can you solve it? And of course, you know, I go and do the same, what they teach you to do, right? Show your work. You have to do it like this. And he says, no, no, no. I said, don't, don't do that. Just look at it and tell me what you think the answer is. I said, okay, it's this. And he said, that's right. And they did it again. It was, that was also right. So he says, Arthur, would you like some extra credit? I was like, yeah, I want to go to high school. So he says, we're going to do every Friday, we're going to do a a competition and you have mm. to volunteer in front of the class uh, and you're going to compete with other kids with this exact same thing. And I think you're going to do good at it because you're good at solving these problems in your head, maybe not on paper, but you're good at it on your head. It's like, uh, I mean, you want me to basically stand up in front of the class and do it? And he says, yes. Right. It's like, oh my Sounds God. terrifying. <laughs> it was, it was, but you know, it's like I wanted the extra credit. So, uh, <laughs> so, so I figured, okay, what, what, what have I got to lose? Everybody thinks I'm an idiot anyway, but it turns out, I was really good at this game and I was good at it in front of an entire class of kids. Mm. The the teacher in the special kids class, she basically tried to help me to feel comfortable with who I was as a stupid kid. Mr. Backus saw more than what was obvious and helped me to see my potential as as more. And and that kind of changed my entire perspective on things because after about three weeks, people's others, these kids started coming up to me and say, hey, Arthur, can you help me with my homework? And it's like, oh, my gosh, these people think I'm smart. And I'd come up with some excuse. But then one day, Lynn Pachowski, this beautiful eighth grade girl, comes up and says, uh, Arthur, can you help me with my homework? And I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I learned to be smart. And, and that, that was, I guess, kind of the turning that, point. Yeah, that's so funny. You learned to be smart. <laughs> yeah, I learned to be smart. You know, I didn't grow brain cells, but, you know, the, the attitude uh -huh. that I had, the perception of self, my focus, everything changed. Okay. And I was never a straight A student after that. But you know what? I knew that I had more than what met the eye and what people were telling me that I could do and couldn't do. And, and, and I, 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 I saw past the BS that uh, was being fed to me by the school system. You know, and, and I'm not going to say that, uh, that, that school was easy after that, but it was, 
you know, I, I went through it with a totally different attitude and I knew that, you know, the things that uh, I, I knew I could be more. I knew I could be more. And that was where I kind of got started. And um, uh, and then I ended up in Asia, also following a girl, different one. <laughs> and I followed her to Korea. I, you know, in, in Korea, I got I, I got this this job as a managing director of this consulting company, just so I could go and, you know, and, and, and have something to, uh, to follow this girl with. Right. So, uh, anyway, the girl didn't work out, but I thought I was, I was doing really good in this job because we used to design these franchises for all these different companies and stuff. And I thought, wow, I'm really good at this. So why don't I just do it for myself? So I thought, Hey, you know, so I took all my money and I, I, borrowed about another half a million dollars then moved over to Singapore and I started this uh, this business and a year and a half later you know what happened what happened well not only was I broke but I was also a half a million dollars in debt which what? you know is, is really stressful do not try how? this at home yeah how well no okay I mean Bad business decisions. I mean, first of all, because at that time, I, I, I kind of let my ego get away with me. I, I thought I was hot shit. And it was one of these things where you because everything I had done in that job had worked. And so it starts to get to you. You think, oh, you know, my my <laughs> I, I can't do no wrong. And, and of course, that kind of gets into the whole ego thing and then you start thinking oh when when something goes wrong it can't be my fault because I'm too awesome and so literally my ego got in the way of my success and plus I spread out my I spread myself out too thin once one thing was started going I thought oh, okay now I can focus on something else and 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 I would start a whole bunch of things and let other people kind of run them and and yeah everything basically fell apart at the same time but, you know, when you're when you're in massive debt, I, I you know, you have to do something to survive. So I got this job and uh, I got a job as a department head in this big multinational company. When you know, when you first start a job, you know how you're excited, right? It's like, wow, you know, I can see something all new. these different possibilities and everything else. And I was like, wow, there's you know so much thing I can do. And then you know, after a few weeks, I'd start noticing people are blaming each other. It's like, oh man, you know, it's like, what's wrong with these people? And I'd go up to these other guys and I'd say, you know, hey, you know, look, you've got some resources and I've got some resources and we can, you know, pool our resources together and we could do all these things. And they'd say, look, Arthur, you know, you're new here, we understand, but you know, you do your thing, we'll do are thinking, I'm thinking, man, no cooperation, you know, and, and I'm thinking, man, what's wrong with these people? Four and a half months later, you know what happened? What? I started blaming people without even realizing you it. Took and on then, their you know, culture. Yeah, I yeah. did. I, I got sucked in and, you know, people would come up to me for help. And I said, look, you do your thing. I do my thing. And, and I got sucked in. And, you know, the thing is eventually, I mean, it got to the point where I, I, I became an underachiever. I mean, I, I kind of gave up that I could really be super successful in the company. And I, you know, and I was doing a lot of busy work. You know how you're busy, but you're not really doing anything productive. And, and I became the kind of person that I didn't like, even though I was not really doing that much work for the organization. It wasn't fulfilling in any way possible. And I would go home and, you know, it was just, uh, it was just really a, a dark time for me. I, you know, I, I hated going to work. I, I felt that, uh, I was, 
you know, it was my boss's fault and my and my the other department heads and all of these things. And I, I felt like they they were causing my life to be difficult. And then one day I kind of looked in the mirror and I said, man, you suck. And I went and talked to these people, these bad people that were, you know, making my life difficult. I found out something totally unexpected. I found out that they were real human beings and they also had real standards and they also wanted to have all this teamwork and they also had dreams. Actually, they were very much like me hmm. and they also got sucked in. And so I'm thinking, wow, OK, it's it's not really the people. And, you know, and and they're blaming I'm blaming and we're just kind of getting sucked into this whole culture. And so it's like, wow. Okay, so here I am in this in this environment that is creating me that is making me be less than I can, that is making me focus on being a person that I don't want to be. And so it's not the people who I was blaming. It's something bigger. So that's when I decided, okay, I want to fix it. Okay, and so since I was kind of doing you know, busy work anyway, I figured, hey, I, you know, I might as well use some of that time for trying to solve this problem. And so I started doing research on all these different elements of group dynamics and psychology and, uh, you know, organizational behavior and everything. And eventually, uh, about a year later, came up with uh, the beginning framework of what was later known as directive communication psychology. And we tried it. Well, I tried it with it with two other departments plus my own without kind of telling them, you know, just trying some of this stuff. And we ended up saving the company $17,000 a week in wastage. Wow. So I thought, wow, okay, so, hey, let's let's write some articles about this. And so I started writing articles and I got on the radio and then people would start calling me and then I got on TV. And so then I was eventually able to quit my job. Wow. I like how it un unraveled organically from a real need, from a place to first serve yourself and the people around you and then just kind of spread across the organization. And that's real impact, $17,000 a week, a week. So can you talk to us? If anyone's first, I want to ask one question for people that are listening. If anyone here is under crushing debt, did it kill you? Like I want to... What am I trying to ask? I think what I'm trying to do is I want to ask you about that experience in and of itself, because I think that a lot of people, they do themselves more harm than good through stress. Are well, oh, there you are. Yeah. Go I ahead. Just, yeah, yeah. Go I ahead. just, yeah, I want to talk about that first for obviously I'd take a job, but like your creditors won't kill you. So you can kind of always call them and buy time, but you do need a plan, like you said, and you had to take a job. So you talk about that part first and foremost, or what you wish you had done to avoid going that deep into debt. Like, what was the one lesson that accumulating half a million dollars in I, debt taught you? I, I mean, I guess the first lesson was don't be an asshole. I, you know, I, I, I had become of not a very nice person in general because I was so full of myself. And that was one of the reasons why I got into debt. Mm. And and the other thing, of course, that, that also was contributing to me being into debt was not focusing on the thing that was working and, and trying and immediately when it started to work, you know, focus on something different. So, you know, be consistent with it instead of just trying to do so many things at the same time, get something really good and then laterally expand. OK, that mm. that's one thing. But the debt itself, I mean, you know, there's there's different kinds of creditors and you know the there, there's the kind that will threaten you every day and they tell you they they just make you feel like you're worthless okay 
and and I was kind of a rebellious person, and and those were the ones that I they paid last. Mm-hmm. And the one one of the things that you can also do that I I, I found was that if you wait long enough, uh, <laughs> you can negotiate. So if you owe a certain amount, um, you can basically negotiate them down to you know thirty even fifty percent of what you originally owed them. Yep. Yeah. I learned that when I had my martial arts school trying to collect. That's why I really learned about – I was like, oh, because I think there's a lot of people that have this fear that they're going to get locked up in some imaginary room. I mean there are bad things that can happen, sure. But I really learned this when I had my martial arts school and I had students that wouldn't pay me. I I realized as a business owner, like you only have – there's only so much you can do. You can only – Robert Collier wrote about this in the Robert Collier letter book. He's like, all you can really do is like, is it's kind of like a cat. You can like pet it the way it likes being petted or you can rub its fur backwards. Like that's all you can do is you can get their hair up on end or you can calm them down. Right. Like <laughs> it's like, that's all you can do is like threaten, threaten, threaten. Hey, let's be friends. And I, like you said, at the end of the day, you can negotiate with people what you're going to pay them. Like after enough time and it will hurt your credit. And that's why they have credits is to help lenders, you know, know the risk that they're getting into lending to you. But generally speaking, you can always buy time. And the worst thing you can do is hide. The worst thing you can do is just disappear. The best thing I think is to communicate and to try to set like touch points. Like, look, I just need a couple weeks. Like, Hey, I need a month. Hey, whatever. Like the communication goes a long way that you're responsive and that you're taking ownership and responsibility for the debt. I mean, if you just disappear, you might think the debt is gone, but I think a lot of times they will come out of the woodwork to haunt you. And so anyways, I'm not, I'm not a debt expert by any means but i remember as a mar- as a, when i had my martial arts school the most i could do is send them harassing letters chase them down eventually i could take them to court you know and then but it's just it's and then garnish their wages but it's just such a long drawn out painful like pure discomfort experience for all parties involved i think what most people do is they just get a collection agency and they just mail you and call you it's an auto dialer and when you finally respond you maybe get a live rep (laughs) but that's kind of it and then there's not you know like the sun still rises tomorrow you know the rain still falls the time keeps moving forward so i kind of wanted to share that because i know that for some people they might have this debt and student loan debt or whatever and it could be a major source of emotional pain for them I guess well, the message- you know, one of the things that I found, a couple of things that, uh, okay, well, first of all, I, I the, the people that got paid first were the people that were nice and, and actually trying to figure it out and not just like, we want our money, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, we don't care about you, you know, the ones that actually cared, or at least mm-hmm. seemed that they cared, whether it was a strategy or not. But, you know, one of the things that I, I found helped me to deal with the debt more easily is when these people called, I would be like super nice to them. It's like, oh, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, and, 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 and 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 just try to really kind of be you know just just nice and 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 you know the people that are calling you really aren't used to that so, so they like don't know what to do with it <laughs> you're, kill, you're killing them with kindness so yeah you joke with them and say yeah you know it's like i'm trying to win the lottery man i'm you know <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, I'm with you. So now let's talk about culture because that's the other part of it. Because culture, like I think culture feeds into all this because that's the culture of how you approach your problems in your life is how you would approach having this debt. The, the culture of how you approach working with your teamwork, how, the culture of how you approach if a client asks for a refund, how you deal with difficulties with staff. I don't know if it's, like I said, when I said dark matter, and I'm you are the culture expert, not me, but please correct me. So please correct me if I'm wrong. But I feel like it's something that permeates Everything, like how you do something is how you do everything kind of kind of model. Well, yeah, okay. I mean, first of all, okay, let's let, let's just look at the, the, the elements that affect culture, all right? So, of course, leadership affects culture, right? 
the leadership affects culture. Now, the mix. Okay, now just just imagine. All right, let's say um, you like ice cream. Yes, I like ice cream. Who doesn't like ice cream? <laughs> ah, okay, so uh, let's say UK. Okay, what kind of ice cream do you like? Hard to go wrong with chocolate. I like mint chocolate chip too. Pistachio. Okay, let's go for mint chocolate chip. All right. Okay. Now, do you like uh, pizza? Uh, it's delicious, but I don't. It's not a preferred food because of the bread. Ah, okay. All right. So, what do you like? What's one of your favorite foods? Uh, ooh, I like like a meal. Like a, I like butter chicken. Butter chicken's kind of my, my butter chicken. There you go. Yeah. Okay. So, butter chicken is great. All right, and it's got all these herbs, and you know, you've got the chicken, you got all the you know the masala and all this stuff in there. Now, and you got you know your ice cream that's got mint and chocolate chips and cream and you know all this stuff. Now, you had butter chicken and ice cream mix. Okay, it probably wouldn't really be very good. So even though they're really great when they're separate, they don't necessarily create a good mix. Mm. Mm. Okay, right. And and culture is is very much the same. See, people uh, are, have their own ingredients, if you will. All right. So okay, one of the key things is they have a very specific genetic predefined process of how they get clarity, all right? Now, in every culture, you're gonna have multiple people with different brain processes. And what ends up happening, of course, is because they're different, oftentimes the expectations create discomfort or your mistrust or disrespect of some kind or another. And for that matter, that and that, of course, affects synergy and it affects culture. Another part of the mix is their emotional drivers ranking, okay? So basically, what motivates them, why they do things, okay? So that mix is going to be very, very important, especially in your organization. If you have people that have too much of one or not enough of some of the others, and you don't have anything that at least is consistent with everybody else, you're gonna get a mixed match of people that, well, don't mix, like ice cream and butter chicken. And right. that is going to literally create a culture that can be dysfunctional. Now, if you have this already and you have a culture that's already not really working as great as it could be, well, that's one th – then you, the awareness of these things is going to help you to essentially create a environment that is going to support each person to – well, first of all – synergize with the others based on the right mix, right? So you've got, uh, put, you've st you can still use the same people, but how you work with them, how you connect with them, how you understand them, how you lead them becomes different. And for that matter, even how you accept and respect them. Mm. That's a really okay, so, important part. Can you just say that one absolutely. part again? Which, which part? There was, there was no, lots the, of the parts. respect and accept them. Okay. Let's uh, look at a, a saying by Buddha. Buddha once said, life is suffering, but once you accept it, you transcend it. Mm. In today's language, what that basically means is shit happens, live with it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so what happens is that, you know, 
when somebody is doing something and you're thinking, oh my gosh, how is it possible that this person is, uh, has, has reached this level of, 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 uh, in their job so far, you know, they're, I'm surrounded by idiots or you've got this whole thing that you are making judgments based on how and why people do things. Okay. And you're, and, and, and those judgments basically create barriers to respect. And once you understand why and how people are doing what they do, then it's like, oh my gosh, you know, it's, this becomes this, um, it, it becomes like somebody told you that there was a light switch in a room to turn on the light that you didn't know existed. Hmm. And, and, and it's okay. For example, all right. Um, there's one guy that, uh, I, I used to work with and he was a super, super smart guy. I mean, really smart guy, but everything that you would say, okay, that was about, you know, like giving some feedback or, or if somebody would, if he would do something and then somebody would like not pay attention or something like that, immediately he thinks, oh, these people, you know, don't like my stuff or they don't, you know, they're not listening to me or they don't care about me. So he would immediately feel like people were disrespecting him. Okay. For, 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 for all these different things. Well, until, I mean, if you think about it, you know, sometimes people make assumptions that other people do what they do because of them. And and I guarantee you, everybody's busy with their own life. I mean, uh-huh. you are the star of your own movie. Okay. Uh-huh. You don't have time to go and be, you know, and, and, and go into everybody else's movie. You may be in everybody else's movie, but in their movie, you're an extra. Uh-huh. And in their, in your movie, they're extras or possibly they may be main role or supporting characters. Okay. But at the end of the day, okay. You know, when you, when you kind of understand the, you have an awareness of these things, what happens is that you, you become more, it becomes more evident that what people are doing, it's not about you. It's not against you. And therefore that also helps in creating more synergy and less conflict. Mm-hmm. When you start understanding uh, from their point of view, which is why I like that you said that when you ex- ex- respect and accept them, because I think that creates it creates open communication. People stop listening. It's like they I remember reading some sort of meme. It was, you know, when someone shows you their favorite YouTube video, everyone's thinking about their favorite YouTube video. Like, oh, I'm going to show this next, right? They're not focused in the moment. And I think that that's kind of the same, a similar thing. When you have people on the team, you have to acknowledge them and respect them as individuals and that with their own goals and dreams. And, you know, I have to motivate them from within. <clears throat> I just really appreciated that because I think that that's a, I think it's really common, and especially working online, I see employees and employers have a ton of conflict, people getting bulldozed and treated terribly just because they're not treating the other person with respect and they're not accepting the other person and the situation. It's, you know, it's the whole doing to others as you would have them do to you. Right now, I'd like to share with you three things which I believe will help improve your life, save you money, plus make your business and income grow fast. The first is to call 1-888-844-4769 or 1-888-844-GROW. Introduce yourself and tell me how I can help or how far you've come from where you were when you started. Your story can inspire others plus motivate those who are in now or have come from a similar situation. 
Second is let me suggest the best of the best options available for your current business. I speak to a lot of people and I can connect you to the expert resource or tool which will get you the growth you want in your business now if you will just take a second to tell me about yourself. Visit bestbusinesscoach.ca forward slash help. I'll diagnose the exact thing you need to get you from where you are now to where you want to be in your life and business. Once again, just go to bestbusinesscoach.ca forward slash help. And with a couple clicks, you'll see what I'd suggest you do if you sat down in front of me and help me understand your current mental, physical, financial situation, plus the stage and status of your current business now. So once again, go to bestbusinesscoach.ca forward slash help, click on what best describes you and only get the best you deserve. Your time is important, so help me get you the right tool, introduction, strategy, tactic, or tidbit of information you need for better revenues and save your time by needing less effort. Work smarter, not harder. I'm suggesting you help me help you work on your business instead of in it. Third, check out morefreemoney.com to plug a money-sucking black hole and save your business from disaster before it's too late. See, most entrepreneurs don't give their credit card processing accounts a second thought, but that's a big mistake costing you thousands and even tens of thousands of dollars each year. Money you deserve because you're the one who's done all the hard work you do to make the sale. The merchant industry is so bloated with fees, shaving half a percent or even a full percent can be worth a fortune to your bottom line. All you're doing is keeping more of the money you're already making. The other risk is having the wrong merchant account puts your entire business at risk if and when you hit a sudden growth spurt. Your merchant can decide to keep the money for eight months plus and shut down your ability to charge credit cards or even switch to a different merchant. Don't wait until it's too late. It takes five minutes and it's 100% free to find out how much you can save and make sure the merchant you have right now is the right one for your type of business. Be strategic. Set yourself up for safe, long-term growth. Visit morefreemoney.com to see how much more money you could be keeping from sales you already make. Stop your merchant from stealing from you after you close a sale and collect payment. Visit morefreemoney.com now. Who defines the culture? Well, okay. First, let me, Darren, let me just kind of go back to a little bit about what you were talking about. See, the thing is, it's people aren't doing this on purpose, right? You know, the leaders that suck at leadership, it's not like they get up in the morning. It's like, all right, today, who can I screw over, right? I mean, it's like they of want course. to be good leaders. Of course. Okay. And half the time, they have the right idea of what it takes to be a good leader. Okay. But the problem is that there's gaps between, I mean, you know, it's like you, you you've seen that picture of the of the cat looking in the mirror and he sees a lion, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, Oh, you know, I, I'm, I can be much more and everything else. But, but sometimes that can also backfire because you think, Oh, okay. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really caring. I'm really supporting. I'm really, uh, helping people to, you know, achieve their goals. And you think that you're like that. Okay. But when you actually ask the people themselves, it turns out that they think you're a total control freak and you didn't even realize it. So you can't fix it. Mm -hmm. You can't fix what you don't know. Mm -hmm. There's a tool that is a, is a, um, it's a perception gap analysis. It's called the emotional drive mirror assessment. And, um, you can find it at emotionaldrive.net. And well, it all, besides telling you the gaps. It also tells you what you can do to close the gaps. And then the whole point, of course, is once you understand where the gaps are, it's like, oh my gosh, I didn't know I was a control freak, or I didn't know that people thought I was. And now I can work on it. And it's, you know, it'll even give you tips on how to do it. Hmm. And so it's emotionaldrive.net. 
Yes. Yeah, that's so powerful because, you know, as business owners, you have to recognize everyone's going to be a beta version of you. And typically it's because we're terrible communicators. You know, you expect people to read your mind. You know, you don't document things. You don't train or show them or coach them. People don't know how to manage up, so they don't know what to ask of you sometimes, right? A lot of times, depending where you where you work, people show up and they're just waiting to be given instructions and given everything, have it all explained to them. Like, because that's what you get in school, right? You get a test and it's got full instructions on it and there's the answer grid on the back and, you know, it's all there. But when you show up in a work scenario... People, sometimes there's a lot of uh, misunderstandings that happen due to communication faults, communication well, that, gaps. That, that, that communication element also, I mean, it's not, okay, first of all, it depends on the ty- on, on your brain process, right? Mm-hmm. So, okay, what uh, it, it's called the brain's genetic ambiguity relief process, okay? So let's say, for example, you have a, uh, a leader who has what is called a uh, chaotic process or we call green-brained, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so this person, okay, in order to get clarity, they need to take action, Right. They need to actually take action. Now, that action can be as like, hey, Daryl, you know, I've got this really cool idea. What do you think about this? Or it's like, hey, you know, let's just kind of work on it. And then as they start working on it, they start seeing it or they give some they delegate something to somebody. And then they're waiting for these people to finish it before they can kind of see the next step and, and, and move forward. And so sometimes, you know, they get misunderstood as being impatient and stuff. So so these people are not really going to give you great instructions because it's like. It's like you just got to move and you got to do it and you got to, you know, go for it and, and, and try it and figure it out as you go. What do you mean you need instructions? Come uh-huh. on, just do it. <laughs> and, and then you got your other like another one would be linear processing. OK, and these guys need structure. OK, so you'll notice that not everybody does well with the normal school system. And there's uh-huh. a lot of people that are out there that are just not doing well with the normal school system uh-huh. um, because they the normal school system goes by that whole structured process. And when you don't have that, and, and I am not linear process. I don't do well in structure. Structure is is my enemy, <laughs> okay? And when I create, uh, if I'm too structured, I can't create. So it, it, I feel confined and then I feel less motivated. So, but linear processes, they need that structure in order to create in order to get clarity and they they find structure and if you don't give them structure there's frustration right so you've got literally a totally with with just those two uh, brain processes you have a different perspective of how to achieve something in the right way so you've got one guy looking through green colored glasses and the other guy looking through red colored glasses and you know, and, and they just don't see the same thing. They can look at the exact same thing and see something totally different. Right, right, right. Just through different filters or like you said, genetic – The what did you call it? The genetic clarity relief? No, it's ambiguity relief. Ambiguity, but you can find out more relief. about it at – coloredbrain.com coloredbrain.com and that's the american spelling of colored brain so no no you c o l o r e d right now, so this is when you say the ambiguity relief this is when people are grasping to wrap their brain that, that expression i want i got to wrap my brain around this what you're saying is that this is defining the ways people come to understanding it's for, clarity for so one clarity. person for one yeah. person it's taking action and then they figure it out as they feel it through. For the other person, they maybe need to observe. 
or data collect or something like that, right? Yeah, a third yeah. person needs to have emotional support through it, through their feelings or something like, but it's, it's, it, the focal point is coming to an understanding, getting clarity, wrapping their brain around a concept, whether it's what's to be done or what is expected or the goal or just the message that's been communicated. And, and the thing is that, again, this is not as very it's, it's very important to understand this is not personality. Right. This has nothing to do with why you do anything. It has nothing to do whether you um, are adventurous or if you are, you know, ha- are risk adverse or if you like puppies. Um, it has nothing to do with introvert or extrovert. It is only how you get clarity. But how you get clarity determines your process and sequence of action. Okay, uh-huh. so those people that don't take action, they wait for you know you to tell them what to do. Okay, oftentimes it's because you're not communicating to them in the right way, and uh-huh. there is no system in the environment to to make sure that they can connect with each other. And see, and this is again, I mean, this is this is what we call brain racism, right? I mean, you look at somebody and you say, oh my gosh, how can they you know be like that? So like. You know, how can they not do this or not do it this way? Because from your perspective, it's just so obvious this is the right way to do it. Mm-hmm. Okay, So this is a person's how. And when you understand a person's how, you're also understanding how they can take action more comfortably. You're understanding how they learn better. And you're understanding how they expect to be respected and mm. that's that that element of respect is really what it takes away from engagement in an organizational culture. Mm. That is really I want to unpack this a little bit. So we're talking about a different model for defining like learning styles, like you said. So we people have often heard they're auditory or visual or kinetic hands on learner. But this is a this is a deeper understanding of that. And to the point where you can make sure one people are educated the way that like everyone listening to this podcast is probably a strong auditory learner, but it doesn't mean that auditory alone will help them wrap their brain around something. So this is about the steps and the sequence that things need to be explained to them as well as how they need to be shown respect, almost like the love languages that people have heard that, like how, what they need to hear and feel respect, respected and, and valued. And that without that, there's there's huge opportunity for misunderstandings and trip ups and personal conflicts, which gets in the way of an, a team working efficiently together. Right? Is that absolutely right? Yeah, and I think that's why I just want people listening. That's why this sort of stuff is so important because, you know, it, it ha- we have misunderstandings all the time. I remember I lived in Tokyo for three years, and when I went back to Canada, I remember on the plane I was like, oh, I'm I'm so glad when I get home, I'm not going to have all these communication issues all the time because when I was in Japan, I always thought I was having language barriers, even though I was studying the language. And then when I got back to Canada, I was still having communication issues, and I realized what is going on here? Like it's not the language. <laughs> what is happening? You know, do, are we not both speaking English, right? Like I was, I was so baffled by that. And that's really uh, like what you're talking about here. It's how people hear it, right? It's how, it's not what you say. It's what people hear. And, and again, it's, uh, it's, it's also, it's the brain racism thing. You look at somebody that might be, for example, okay, another process is called the relational process and the relational process um, deals with uh, essentially getting enough or getting massive amounts of information. And that information is then 
then creates clear options. And from there, they will choose options. But see, people with uh, what we call a relational or purple brain, the, the initial element of how they of, of how they process takes a long time. I mean, they really take a long time to do this. And sometimes they get misunderstood because people think that they're slow or they're, you know, not efficient or whatever. And then that, that, that of course, comes from a perspective of disrespect. Oh, I don't feel respected or, you know, or, or especially if you're a boss, you've got a purple brain and you ask your chaotic green brain person who basically needs no details and they just jump into stuff because they are trying to get, uh, you know, clarity through action. And, and this person's like, come on, you know, why do I have to spend all this time with, with all these little details when I can actually be doing it? And so they feel disrespected. And so you've got this 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 thing and they, they think their boss is an idiot and, and the boss thinks that the employee is is not performing right because they're not paying attention to the details. And and so therefore you have brain racism where people are judging people by the color of their brain. Mm, 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 mm. What are some of the habits that people listening to this need to develop in order to try to eliminate this from being an issue? Because for anyone listening, you know. We are social creatures. There, you're, whether you have kids or don't, or you own the company or work in a company, whether you have an online business, you're, you're always going to be interacting with other people. The rest of your life, you can guarantee you're going to be interacting with other people as much as you do or don't like that idea. So, Arthur, what are some of the habits and routines and things that people need to do? Or so you see the people that master this to the best level. Like, what, you know, like how can we make this a part of our day to day life and have it prevent issues from happening? Wow. Well, I mean, again, the first part is awareness, right? And I mean, if you're looking at, if I, I mean, one of the things that we recommend first is, um, especially if you've got a business, find out what kind of culture you've got, because that's your benchmark. So there's there's five different levels of culture. The worst one is the blame culture, and mm. there's very little trust. There's very little respect. People are always waiting to, you know, be told what to do. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes that 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 is just so um, it's very inefficient in the blame culture. Um, and the highest one is the leadership enriched culture where people literally will take leadership of their own space, regardless of what it is, and, and make things happen. And um, and do it w happily and excitedly because they're passionate about the organization, the products and, and what the organization represents. And they feel that they're connected to the organization, you know, through their own oh, their, their they are personally becoming successful through their organization. So um, and, you know, the ones in between and, and you can go to cultureevolution.com and there's a test that you can also take for free for that. The culture evolution test uh, I can benchmark where you are as you progress and improve your culture. You can kind of test and compare and and there's all these different uh, uh, ideas on what you can do to improve and so on. And, and of course, it's important to get a good cross section of your of your organization. So the first place is start know where you are. And then, of course, you want to know where you're going. So that way you can see the gap between, oh, here we are now with this culture and we want to go here. So what are the things that need to improve? So uh, you've got the colored brain, understand who you are, how you're communicating, especially if you're the leader, because uh, you may be alienating people without even realizing it. Um, identify your, your gaps, 
the the gaps of how you see yourself compared to how other people see you. And so, you know, we've got that uh, the emotional drive dot net, the tool on there. And um, and then, you know, we we have a there's a there's an app called Squadly with an I, not a L, uh, L I, not a L Y Squadly. And it's at Squadly dot com. And, and that helps you to actually gamify um, and measure everything that you're doing in order to to build that culture. And that's it's really important. Gamify, gamification is super important. I mean, I, I, I have literally succeeded myself through gamifying my efforts. Actually, I, not just the business, but life in general. I mean, I, I help my kids to write books through, you know, gamification processes. I improve my relationship through gamification processes and, and gamification where we're, everything is gamified right now. I mean, and we're living in a world where, you know, people go and check their Instagram. Oh, how many likes did I get? You know, how many comments and okay, did anybody share? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, you're, you're, you're addicted to this stuff. Well, you know, there's all these addictions out there that some of them good, some of them not so good, but why not use the neurochemistry behind that to actually build things that are important, like your business, like your relationship, like your parenting skills? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the first step is awareness and to find out where you're at and then to work on the weaknesses that you have to improve yourself, I guess. Well, it's not necessarily just the weaknesses. It's, first of all, I mean, for example, like with colored brain, right? Okay, we we don't advocate, and and we've and, and there's tons of research to prove this. Do not try to be somebody else. Is you know. Um, <sighs> Get with the people who already, you know, have the different process. Don't try to be their process. Get with them, understand them, respect them, get them to understand you, get them to respect you, and then, you know, synergize. That's the best way to actually achieve. When you try to overcome your weaknesses, especially in in communication processes, you end up spending a lot of time being inefficient, (laughs) When somebody else can do it much more efficiently than you can and, you know, you can and they can also draw on your ability. But closing the gaps, that's the awareness of becoming the person that you you think you are, mm. but actually doing it in, in properly. OK, because sometimes you're just not the person you think you are. That's the problem. Yes, yes, yes. That is a huge problem. And that's what leads a lot of business owners. One, that's what prevents their businesses from growing. And one, it's what keeps them accountable for everything because they can't effectively delegate to other people. Exactly. And see, it's a a sustainable thing. The moment you try to change too much, it's like, oh, I'm going to change. Well, don't change. Just be a better version of what you are. Trying to change is hard. Uh And and it's not sustainable if, if you don't have a really strong support group or environment. Okay, but finding the best parts of who you already are and expanding on those parts and and being the, you know, the person that you already think you are, but finding out why you're not being that person so that you can be congruent with who you think you are. All those things are sustainable. Okay, because you already believe that that's the right way to be. You already believe that that's the right thing. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that have the uh, uh, winning attitude. Okay, but for they're just not achieving the results that they want because they're you know a lot of the times I mean it's not there's this whole awareness gap, and at the same time I mean they 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 don't gamify their 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 life. Mm. Uh, in, in fact, I I, I um I'm doing a, a webinar 
that I do on on a regular basis um, on the the five psychology life hacks that uh, can literally gamify your life. And so so I, you know I go through how I did it personally, and uh, what are mm. some of the things that five things that actually worked. Hmm. And where do they go for the webinar? Where can they register? Oh, you can go to psychologylifehacks.com. Psychologylifehacks.com. So this is really important and valuable because anybody who's listening to this call, you either have a team, you delegate to vendors, or you deal with customers. So you're interacting with people on a regular basis. Communication issues are a, the number one issue I think most businesses are concerned with. It's they're not communicating with their customers clearly, not communicating with their staff properly, with their vendors or where they're sourcing their materials. So cooperation is 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 immensely important. We beat the drum of teamwork being important in this in this show a lot. This is a really great avenue to learn more about how to do that. So now where do you think the future of all this is going. I mean, as we're learning this stuff and gamification is becoming more mainstream and people are learning, what do you think the, like, where are things going to be in five, 10 years from now? Do you think there's going to be, this knowledge is going to become more mainstream? Do you think it's really still going to be kind of secular and almost on a need to know basis or how do you see this? Uh, yeah. I mean, you can, you can already see, you can already see people um, that are the, the people today are much more aware than they were before. The only problem is that they're they're spending too much time on devices and less time with human interaction. So they may have the practical knowledge, but not necessarily the real skill because they're not, you know, there's this, I mean, for example, the, the, the I gen or the gen Z, depending on where you are, these, these kids right now, they're uh, some of them in their twenties, are they they are constantly learning something i mean they're always on youtube learning something new whether it's uh you know something from extra history or whether it's uh, uh how to you know build a birdhouse i mean whatever i mean they're always mm -hmm. learning new skills on a regular basis but the the, the majority of their interaction is through devices. Even, I mean, you see a lot of these kids on dates, right? Mm -hmm. And they're, they're there, you know, together, sitting at a table and chatting with somebody else on, on the device. Online. Right. <laughs> and, and it's, uh, I, I mean, to me, it seems amusing, but to them, it's like, what do you mean? Of course, that's just normal, right? Because we're, we're just here, we're spending time. And it's like, yeah, but what is that eventually going to do to the, to the human connection? I mean, if you actually look at the, the whole physiology behind human connection, I mean, we are constantly in a situation where where our body requires human connection in order to be healthy emotionally and physically. I mean, oxytocin, mm -hmm. for example, is a key factor um, that comes that, that, that is that helps you to reduce stress. Uh, it is an anti-stress hormone. Uh, so anybody that's really stressed out, literally, I mean, by, you know, connecting with somebody, holding hands, hugging, whatever. I mean, OK, of course, all of the uh, legal stuff aside, I mean, um, the uh, that really helps to um, your body to deal with stress. In fact, there was a study done that stress doesn't kill you. It is the belief that stress will kill you that actually kills you more than the stress itself. Right. And the physiological elements of stress, which is essentially the expansion of your arteries, can instantly be counteracted with oxytocin. 
Okay, so, uh, and I mean, worst case, at least get some kittens or puppies because they also give you some oxytocin. Pets pets are phenomenal. They are, but but you know that 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 when it comes to leadership in the future, okay, you're going to have all these kids that are super smart, super you know hardworking, um, that have limited people skills. Even though they're they're online all the time and they want to learn about how to be, you know have better relationships and all this stuff, and they're learning all this stuff, but they're not acting on it as much as they could. So in the future, um, you know, this is, this is a, this is going to be a, uh, one of the great benefits is you're going to have people that know a lot about personal development. Um, the problems are going to come when they're not practicing it and they, maybe they need to learn a little bit more or something like that. Mm, so the issues, so the knowledge will be there and the gap will be in the experience and the practical application through just lack of experience. People will know everything that they need to know, but they actually need to, it's almost like the issue a lot of uh, new graduates have, you know, I, I got to have experience to get a job, but I can't get a job without experience. Yeah. yeah. Have you, have you ever been to, you, okay, I know you were, you were spending time in Japan. Have you ever been to Korea? Only the airport. Okay. I, you know, I, I, I live six years in Korea and, mm. you know, um, your average Korean has gone through 10 years of English training because they've all gone to university plus school, everything else. They can spell better than I can English. Right. Yep. Okay. And they're, uh, and they, they even speak English, but they won't speak English. Most of them will not speak English. Why? Because in their culture, Oh, I'm not good enough yet. So they have to mm. go to, uh, you know, learn English and feel like they're perfect enough to actually try it. Of course, they can't get perfect because they don't practice. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and it's the same thing, right? You have this this thing where, oh, I need to get better. I need to get better. And then you end up not getting better because you're not actually practicing and trying. You're not making those mistakes. And a lot of the generations right now are are mistake adverse they don't want to make mistakes and so therefore um it's safer to just you know stay um you know through the devices because you can always delete or 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 save stuff or whatever in case you need to bring it up again Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah that's all really well said that's really interesting it it makes me feel like i mean this is kind of like dale carnegie all over again where people it sounds like are just lacking the human interaction skills they're going to become in scarce supply and that's also comes back to the whole iq versus eq thing and that emotional intelligence here knowing the colors of the brain and how they interwork together how to mix them in beautiful recipes that taste delicious um, and get results <laughs> you know that that's really going to be uh, uh it's it's a soft skill that will be underappreciated and almost like a magic weapon for those that truly master it, because while every you know in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king, or the one-eyed woman is king. So by developing those skills, you can become a, a magic, a miracle worker, simply because you're able to help people blend together better. And I think Absolutely. that that's yeah, and I think that's going to become even more important, especially as uh, globalization. I mean, this isn't talked about a lot, but it's still a very real, very very real thing that's happening. I mean, you're right. You're an American living in Bali. I'm a Canadian in the Philippines. I've got friends in Por- uh, and, and Costa Rica and Portugal and all over the world right now because the world is kind of you know globalization is really setting in and 
And well, then, even uh, remote working. Okay, there's a lot of people who you know are, are not even in the same country, uh, and they're they have jobs with companies in in some other place. Mm -hmm. You know, the whole office thing um, is going to get less and less important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as people want to spend less time sitting in traffic, I'm realizing, hey, if I just do this on a computer, I can do it all from home. So I, it becomes a cross, like, and this is a human thing, right? It's not a cultural thing. So your color of your brain, it sounds like, would, would work the same irrespective of culture. There might be cultural nuances, but typically the way you process information, the categories of processing information would remain intact. Transcends culture, right? Yeah, it completely transcends culture, and you know it's again the uh, and then the other the other half of that is your emotional drives. Um, in uh, in my recent book, the um, Architects of Extraordinary Team Culture, um, which is uh, five secrets hidden in the ancient pyramids. It's a it's kind of a cheeky story that that <laughs> teaches you how to um, uh, literally create high performing teams and and the predictable recipes uh, that you can create teams for different different purposes and um, on, and how to you know predict performance so so this whole thing is you know it focuses a lot on the emotional drive that people have and also the um, you know the little bits and pieces I mean why aren't people why do people get complacent after a while and it's not not just in in a company but in um, even relationships how can you get rid of that complacency you know that that familiarity that essentially um, starts to say, "Oh, okay, well, I'm I'm already here. I I don't what what I I don't need to do anything more." And then the, of course that that's where if you don't build on it, if you don't nurture it, eventually it it withers. Mm, 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 mm. Yes, there's only two states: growth and decay. Nothing ever really stands still. I think this is super fascinating. I think we might have to get you back on to talk about it a bit more because it's it's such a critical part of everything that we have going on in our companies and our relationship with clients. And I think it's really important people understand it better because no matter what kind of company you're building, culture is one of the most powerful things. I mean, I remember, but I remember when I was, when I had my martial arts school, I got to train with world champions and UFC fighters and people that were, you know, trying to be world class at what they did. And there was such a huge difference between different training camps that I would go to and what the results that I saw on the other end of the competitions. And like I, I, I remember so clearly uh, one of the schools I trained at in Maryland and how there was a hurricane that was going on and people had come all over to show up to this training camp. I remember I had to pay an extra fee because the mayor had – that like you know no cars on the road and if a taxi's on the road you have to pay them extra because it's you know for danger pay because they're taking you from a to b roads were flooded trees were falling over the wind was howling i got driven from where i was staying to the to the to the dojo to the gym where we were going to be training and in that you know we have some ufc champs and some guys that are past world champions that are coming back to be more and we were training in this room and the music is blaring in these giant bay windows they're flexing because the wind outside is just the storm is just thumping so oh my hard gosh. and the tree and i'm like if i'm i just remember being in this room and like everybody's fighting everybody it was like a like a bar brawl almost but it was controlled chaos because you know we had coaches and trainers but it was like you fight your guy for a time round and switch and doing all these different drills but the culture of that environment 
produced some of the most, even to today, I've been out of the, that industry for years now, but the culture and the people who came from that culture, seeing their success now, like seven years after I kind of left that industry, the culture has really carried them through the habits, the, the culture, the beliefs, the growth mindset. And so I, that's why I, I said, I like, I like my analogy too of dark matter at the beginning, because it's something that you can't really see. It can be undervalued as a soft, fuzzy skill, but it just it permeates and it's everywhere. And I think that it's a really, really powerful tool to have. And I appreciate you sharing with us. Is there anything I should have asked you about this that I didn't ask you? Well, I mean, just um, you just just I just wanted to make a note on uh, on on when you said you take your you know you take that with you. See, uh, the the thing is that if you notice. There are when when you are in, let's say, for example, that culture, that environment, those people, that mix really brings out the best of who you are. Okay, but if you go into a different group of people that don't have that same passion, don't have that same kind of thing, you know, you're you're thinking, wow, you know, uh, you're you're not going to be the same person. And even though you may have the skills and the passion that you've already developed, other people, a, a different mix will definitely bring out the other other factors of who you are. Now, the people that succeed are not the people that bring the the the, the skills with them necessarily, but they're the ones who t remember how those environments were created and recreate those environments for themselves in other areas such as business. Hmm. That's so true. I mean, that's like a tuning fork, right? A tuning fork, if you have a room and it's, you have the scale of all the different notes and you hit one tuning fork that's like an F minor, it'll vibrate the other one across the room. And so I think that um, like waves, they can, they can support or they can cancel each other out. So it makes perfect sense what you're saying. Now, can we go through some of these URLs that you gave again? There was emotional drive. Was it emotionaldrive.net? Yes, EmotionalDrive.net. That's CultureEvolution.com. Uh, CultureEvolution.com, right? And what was the webinar one? Okay, the webinar one is um, PsychologyLifeHacks.com. And then don't forget ColoredBrain.com to find your brain's genetic ambiguity relief process. That's perfect. Arthur, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been important. I would love to have you back at some point to talk about this more because I think this is really important. And I already know hearing this, I'm all sorts of insecurities coming out about, oh, my team, am I respecting their brain color? Am I being a brain racist? Uh, because I just, it's such an important thing. And you can tell people can see the results, but they may not understand the underworkings, right? Someone comes onto a team or they go somewhere and they see something, you know, it, you know, things do click or they don't click. We have all these terms in our colloquial language to describe it, but no one really understands the nuts and bolts. So I, I think it's really valuable what you shared with us. And I, I hope to have you back on the show so we can all learn about it a little more. Thank you so much, Daryl. I really appreciate it. Sounds like uh, you have another guest with you there. <laughs> That's right. Malaya's coming. She she wants her dad time. That's what's going on. So ah, she's, nice. She's calming down now that she's she's with. And dad. she's now five years old or yeah. five, yeah. five no, days no, old. No, no, right? no. This is day four. Five days old. That's right. Day four. Pretty, oh, day four. Close. Four days old. Sunday. Days. It was Sunday. So the time of this recording wow. for those of you that are hearing this now. 
little Malaya joined us just four days ago, and it's the best psychological experiment ever. And it's actually made me even more intrigued in culture because, you know, they say it takes a village to raise a child. And I think that the culture you have is really the only lasting effect you can have on your child. I mean, values, like there's the hard factual data, but just like other things, the, the, the mentality, the mindset, the culture you have in your household is really the only moat you can build. And not to say that it's like, you know, there's a bunch of people trying to do ill upon your family. But, you know, if you want your kids to believe certain things and take certain approaches in life, philosophy, culture, the mental state that they have, their mentality about things, I think that's just, it's such a fundamental part. It's, it's where the soft skills become, you know, almost more important than some of the harder skills. Absolutely. Know? So. Absolutely. So. Anyways, okay. Well, Arthur, thank you so much. Appreciate you. Thank you, Daryl. And we'll talk again soon. All right. Bye-bye. You've reached the end of our interview. Now, first, let me thank you for listening. I appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know. And now I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First, what three lessons did you just learn? What three aha moments just jumped out at you? Second, what can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, what can you give to someone else to help you with or give them to just do it for you? Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it. It'll help them and it'll help me too. I'd also like to invite you to help me find out more about the challenges you're facing, your dreams, your goals, and how I can help you overcome what's holding you back. We both do better when we know better, and your success is my success. So please reach out and interact. You can visit our website, bestbusinesscoach.ca for Canada or California, where I'm from and where I'm living. You're welcome to also try out one of our paid programs. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much every other social media channel you can think of. You should also subscribe to the podcast. And if you're enjoying them, please leave us a nice review. It really helps. That's all for now. Once again, thank you. Take care of yourself. And remember, the world needs the best business you can build. And I believe in you.